So if you're new, whether you're here or at home, uh, Gift for Kids is simply this, that we come alongside of families who the only thing that they are lacking in this season is finances. They have the love, they have everything that they need. They just need some financial assistance. Uh, they don't even need help to pick out the gifts. They know their kids better than we do. But we come along with finances to help them bless their kids at Christmas. And if we all do something, trust me, it all gets done. You know, today I have the, the privilege of honoring um, George Simpson. If you've been at Life Center, the Orleans campus here for any length of time, then you will have seen George in the foyer greeting. He's one of our greeters. He was in a wheelchair. And uh, you've seen him. Uh, he went to be with Jesus in October. And uh, because of COVID, because, not from COVID, but because of this COVID season, we don't see one another all the time. And so we just literally found out last week. And um, so we want to take a moment to honor him because his life, it, he, the way he lived his life, the way he served is someone who personified, I think, what we want to teach through today. And so we're going to continue our, our series that we're in, Lord Build Your House, the positional part of it. And today we want to look at serving, how we move from being found in Jesus to serving one another or to serving others. In the past two weeks, both Pastors Rhonda and Pastor Barry have led us beautifully. And we're going to, again, we're going to keep that going today. You know, in 2021, my deepest pastoral concern facing the church today isn't only lost people. I didn't say that appropriately in the first service. Yes, of course, it's people who don't yet know Jesus. But my deepest pastoral concern isn't only lost people. It's actually a little bit different. It is found people who stop following Jesus. Because this has a tremendous impact on the redemptive potential of every single local church on the earth today. Here's why it's important for us to talk about this. As people, we never stop being formed. There's one thing that's true of you, that everybody that you work with, whether you see them through a Zoom screen or you're back to somewhat face-to-face, -face, every single person is being discipled. It's just into who or into what are they being formed, fashioned, or discipled. Every single one of us. And as people who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, that maybe we've been saved or we prayed a prayer and God got a hold of our hearts, he's the savior of our hearts, it doesn't always mean that he's the leader of our lives. And so you and I, in our following Jesus, along the way, can be positionally saved but stuck immature in other areas. We can be stuck in different spaces and different seasons. So again, we never stop being formed, but we then in certain areas can stop following or living into the way of Jesus. And if we do in our hearts, we cede or we give this honored position of influence to something other or something else. And what we allow to influence us, what we allow to give the position of influence in our hearts forms us. It disciples us. And it creates dependence in our lives. And whatever I or you, whatever we depend on, deepens. And so sometimes God uses crisis. He uses things in our lives to surface or to show what we're truly depending upon, not what we are pretending or just saying or just confessing that we are actually depending within. Eleven of the twelve disciples of Jesus are going to change the world. 
They really are. But from the moment they find Jesus, or more accurately said, the more Jesus calls them and finds them, he enrolls them in this school of formation, this living their life in the way of Jesus, follow him. And he essentially says to every one of them in different ways, but he says, your job is to keep following me. And trust me, I'm going to give you lots of reasons and obstacles where you're going to have to keep following and following and following and following. Your job is to follow. It is my job. It's Jesus's job to form you and to make you into who you are actually called and purposed to be. So in this instance, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you individuals who you can steward the lives of others, that not only are you a disciple, but you're going to actually learn how to make somebody else a disciple or a follower of Jesus. This is what Jesus says. All you have to do is keep following and I'm going to form you. And so for us today, the most critical thing that we have in our lives is to continue to follow Jesus. Because once again, if we do this, then we are depending upon him. And if we depend upon Jesus, then he deepens in our hearts and lives. And so in the story that we are now going to read, it's a true story. In the story that we're going to read, there are three dependence tests that Jesus puts the disciples through that we want to highlight that all of us go through as well. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 15. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles. And enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now I want to pause here. Because if you know anything about the Bible story, and if you don't, don't worry, I'm going to fill you in. Jesus is limiting the mission here on purpose. If you know anything about the Great Commission that's coming soon, Jesus is going to say to these twelve, go into all the world. He's going to tell a parable about the Good Samaritans that's going to reveal their, 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 their injustice heart towards those who are different from them. He's going to do all those things. But in this instance, Jesus limits their assignment for a specific purpose because they cannot yet steward what is about to come. And so Jesus wants to deepen something in this season, and so he limits it. He says, and proclaim as you go, saying this, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. How many know that's a good assignment? Okay? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. But it starts first with teaching the message or preaching the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says these, now here's the tests. Here's what Jesus tells them. Watch. You receive without paying. In other words, you didn't earn the gospel. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. So give without pay. Take no money, receive no offerings, nothing. As I send you out, no money, nothing. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, no, don't bring two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. So first, there's a finance test we can see here. And then he goes on to say, and whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust of your feet. We'll explain that in a minute. Uh, and of your feet when you leave the house or town. And then Jesus says this, truly, I say to you, they will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Strong words at the end, but he basically says this, don't you judge it, leave that up to me. You know this much. 
I know all things. Don't worry, I got it. Now, three things that stop many followers of Jesus from continuing to follow Jesus. Three things that we see in this text. Some he sends them with and some he sends them without. Three things. The first is finances. The second is flattery. And the third is hurtful criticism or wounding, especially by other brothers and sisters. These things can stop and deform our hearts. I want you to think about it for a moment. 11 out of the 12 disciples are going to steward more. Everyone say steward more. If you're online, you can just type steward more. Not steward little. That's a little joke. Forget it. 11 of the, that was a terrible joke, but I went for it anyways. 11 of the 12 disciples are going to steward more than they are in this moment, than they have in this moment. But to get there, here's what has to happen. Jesus has to put in some things into their lives, but he's also got to pull out some other things from their lives. And this is what it looks like for all of us to follow Jesus. He is constantly putting things in our lives and pulling things out of our lives. Peter never stops being Peter from the moment we see him until the moment he is murdered. Peter never stops being Peter. But here's what happens. Peter becomes more like Jesus the more we see him in his story. He never stops. His personality never changes. Peter, Peter is Peter. But he becomes more like Jesus. You becoming more like Jesus doesn't mean that your personality changes. doesn't mean those things it means that you learn to walk according to the Spirit. You begin to die to the things of this flesh and the world. And you begin to live in a different way. You begin to allow your heart to be formed and shaped differently. Everything you need in this season, Jesus has already placed into your hands, just like he does for the disciples. Everything that they needed to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, and to cast out demons... And to preach the kingdom is at hand. Everything that they needed, Jesus delegates the authority to them in this moment. They have in their hands. But here's what I want you to know. Everything that they need in the future, they do not yet have in their hands today. Because when Jesus said this, he had not yet gone to the cross. He had not yet risen from the dead. The Holy Spirit has not been poured out, not just on them, but in them. But everything that they need in this moment, they have. But there are things that they need for the great commission that are coming that are not yet in their hands. And so everything you need in this season... Jesus is already placed into your hands, but everything you need in the season to come is found in the harvest of you faithfully continuing to follow Jesus. It's critical that we understand that. In following Jesus, there are tests. Everyone go, oh, no. I don't like tests. They're not pop quizzes, but they are tests. But they are not tests designed to harm your identity. Like, you're a good student. You're a terrible student. You're an A and you're an F student. No, no, no. That's not the grading system of heaven. No, 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 no. The tests of God are not pass-fail in that way. The tests of God are designed to show you what you are truly depending upon. They're not tests of anti-love. They are tests of all-encompassing love for you and for me. And the first test we see is this. The financial test. I'm going to talk about money for a minute. Here's what I want you to know. Whenever we talk about money at Life Center, take a deep breath, the offering's already gone by. But here's what I want you to know. Number one, I am not a fundraiser. I never will be. 
It's not my job as a pastor to raise funds. It's my job to teach God's word and that you release them as honoring God's word for your own heart and life. That's number one. Number two, we never take up an offering at Life Center. It's not our job to take anything. We receive whatever it is that you give. This is not just semantics. Because if the motive is wrong here, and I've been in church services where the motive's wrong. Okay, I'm, I'm telling you, I've been in it. I'm like, this is a pitch. No, this is obedience to what God's word teaches. We're called to release and we're called to receive. But I do want to talk about it. Here's the first thing that Jesus sends them out. He sends them out and here's the test. Is your heart wrapped up in provision or is your heart anchored in the provider? This is the test. He sends the disciples and says to them, no, 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 no. Don't take any money. No gold, no silver, no copper, nothing. Not even a tunic, nothing. You receive nothing. Now, for three and a half years, as Jesus ministers, he receives funds. He receives finances. He receives all of it. And one of the disciples was in charge of the finances in Jesus' disciples. His name was Judas. He was in charge of the money bag. And you see it all through scripture. That's what his job was. That was his role on the, on the team on the, as, as a disciple. But Judas is a part of the 12 here. And he also is sent out. And the test is, is your heart wrapped up in provision or is it about the provider? Which one has a hold of your heart? And so Matthew 10 verse 8 says, you receive without paying, give without pay. It reminds us of Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. There's this beautiful lavishness to who God is. Or later, we can see Peter, who has learned that God is provider. He has learned that everything that I need, God has already put into my hands. We see him later, much later, after he's had a few failures along the way, I might add. Acts chapter 3, verse 6, he says this. But Peter said, I have no gold, or sil I have no silver and gold, but what I do have. Everyone say, what I do have. Here's the thing I want you to do this week. I want you to take 10, 15 minutes, 5 minutes, whatever length of time you want. I want you to take some pen, pen and a paper and list and ask yourself that one question. Lord, what do I have? And begin to list it all out. What do I have? What do I have with time? What do I have with gifts? What do I have with experience? What do I have? Just, just list it out. You'll begin to see, oh my gosh, I actually have more than I really realized. So Peter here says, I have no gold, no silver, but what I do have, what is in my hands, that I can give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, and the man does. Where did Peter learn to give not what he doesn't have, but what he does have? We're reading the story right now. Jesus sends him without, and he learns, it's not about the gold or the silver or the provision that I have. I know my provider. And so what I have in this moment doesn't limit me. I have this full delegated authority. When Jesus says later to Peter, all authority I give to you, and he walks in it. But he had to learn. There's another disciple who gets sent out. His name is Judas, who never learns this lesson. He never learns the difference between provision and provider. He never passes the finance test. Again, what does Jesus know? And what is he trying to deepen in their lives by saying to them, don't take any gold, 
Don't take any silver, nothing. What is he trying to limit in their hearts and lives? He knows whatever they depend on deepens. He knows this. Because what we depend on, we develop trust in. I am so proud of us as a church. You know, we've, we're all going through a global pandemic. Any, everywhere is. And so last year as a church, our total giving at Life Center went down a few hundred thousand dollars. So guess what we did as a church? We increased our giving year over year. And we as a church, I'm not bragging on me, I'm bragging on us. We as a church moved in the opposite spirit and were a blessing to nine other churches. And so the actual difference that we decreased, we actually gave increased it last year. Why does that matter? Because again, yeah, it's awesome. That's you. But why does it matter? Because there's something powerful about moving in the opposite spirit in times of testing. There's something significant, church, about not going self-centered, but continuing to serve others. You know, we could do something right now that could cover gift for kids, and we could do this. If I just said, whether you're online or you're here, turn to the person beside you. If, if, you're, if you're at home, I, this is, we're going to have to work this ex- example out a little bit, but just use your sanctified imagination. Find someone around you. Go to your, at home, just go to your neighbor. Ask to borrow their credit or debit card. And then just give as you've always wanted to give. How many of you know that if we did that, Number one, I, okay, here's, here's the decision I would make if I were you. If, if, if the pastor said that, number one, I would make sure I'm not sitting beside somebody in my immediate family because that's going to affect me. I'd find someone who's not in my immediate family so that I could actually give with absolute no thought. Here's what I would do. I would pause and I would receive that credit or debit card and I would say, Lord, how much do you want me to give? And I would hear a number in my head and I would say, Lord, Lord, no, that is, that is too, too, too little. Let's add a zero. <laughs> Why? Because I'm not giving my money. I'm giving yours. So I'm going to be the most generous person on the planet. Here's the question. Why don't we live like that every day? Because here's what I know. The money that I have, it's not mine. It's God's. I'm simply a steward of it, not the owner of it. In other words, why do I got to wait? Don't take anyone else's credit card. That's theft. Don't do that. You don't have to wait for a silly example like that. But perhaps when the Lord speaks to your heart to give, All of a sudden, you can feel the provision or provider. So for gift for kids, you know, Lori and I just took a moment and prayed. And Lori's no help here, by the way, at all whatsoever. Because I said, like, Lord, how much do you think we should give? And she said, well, let's pray and ask. And I always barter with God. Don't you? Lord, how, how much? Now, I know my budget. I know what we can give. So I said, Lord, how much should we give? And I felt a little number. It's not mysterious. I just felt a little number. And it felt a little high. So I asked the Lord. No, I didn't. I just said, all right. Let's do it. 
big gulp. Every two weeks, when Lorraine and I take 10% off of our income and return it to the local church as an act of worship to God, you know what it does? Breaks the back of greed. Lord, I trust that you're provider. My faith, I don't want it to be rooted in provision, as grateful as I am. I used to be really insecure to talk about money in church. I did. I was like super insecure. Until I saw how the world talked about money and how it absolutely destroys people's lives. Then I developed confidence that, no, 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 I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the provider. And my job, again, isn't to get you. It's not to fundraise. It's to teach God's word. Two more things. Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to the one or you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve both of them. And I've known so many people in my life who said, I can. <laughs> and they can't. You just can't. Two other things. Matthew 10, 12, 13, as we've already read, says this. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, everyone say worthy. Let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now, as North Americans, we've got to be careful here because we're reading, once again, text that wasn't written in our language or our culture. So we can read that and says, if the house is worthy, and we can think, okay, if the house is worthy of me, then I let my peace come upon it. But if the house is not worthy of me, but that's just pride. No, no, no. Here's what this means. If the house is open to hearing the gospel, then let the shalom of God fall in that place. Let the peace of God But if it's not open to the gospel, let your peace return to you. In other words, you don't have to fight. You don't have to strive. You don't got to destroy each other. You can simply share and let God do what only God can do. What does Jesus know here? There's not only the finance test, there's this other two tests that we'll go through in quicker order. The first test is the flattery test. And the flattery test, the flattery test can form our hearts too. Has anyone here ever been on social media? Can I see your hands, please? Okay. Most of it is the flattery test. If there was no such thing as flattery, there would be no such thing as filters. Filters are designed for one reason. I like the ones that make everyone look weird. Those are some of my favorites. But Flattery is, I want you to believe something about my life, whether it is true or not. And then everybody like, 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 like,
I want you to believe it. Like, I want you to believe, I want you to believe that we're a happy family. And so we send out a Christmas card on Instagram and we're all there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet four seconds before the photo and eight seconds after, we were like, oh, I hate you. That's not a true story. I'm not talking about my family. I'm just hypothetically <laughs> painting a picture for you. We haven't done a Christmas family card. I'm, not, I'm literally not. I'm just saying. Has anyone here ever, ever staged a photo online? Show of hands, be honest, please. Where if we could see what the full camera could see, you wouldn't have posted that photo. Can I see your hands, please? How many of you love the Zoom calls where you get to get dressed up on the top and shorts on the bottom? I think it's fabulous. Flattery, though. Here's what Proverbs 29, verse 5 says. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Now, once again, at first reading, you're like, oh, that's really nice. If he falls, there's a net. That's not what it's saying. A net is a snare. Flattery is a snare. Flattery is never to be confused with prophecy. Prophecy is to encourage, to exhort, and to build one another up. Prophecy is a gift of the Spirit to build somebody else up. Flattery makes things up. Prophecy doesn't make things up. It builds up. Two different things. Two different things. It's not making something up, it's building someone up, saying who they could be in Christ. Flattery is not, it's something different. But the same is true on the other side of it. The other side of flattery is hurtful criticism. Now, how many of you know there is something called constructive criticism? There are things that people in love say to us in love that are true, that sting in a moment, not because they aren't true, but because they are true and they are calling us higher in love and they're being done right, that's good. But sometimes there's other types of criticism and here's the problem with hurtful criticism. Hurtful criticism is rooted in a half-truth that can actually cause us to live into a whole lie. So we may have done something and that is true. And I'm not diminishing that one way, shape, or form. And whatever we've done, there are consequences to what we do. I'm not diminishing that. But here's what I know. I am so glad that God doesn't define the entirety of my life exclusively just by the dumb things that I've done. They're true, and I can be convicted of it, yes. But he sees the larger picture of not just who I am, but who I can become if I continue to follow him and allow him to heal and mold and shape the different parts of our hearts and lives. And today we can learn much from the way of Jesus, how he directs his disciples to handle hurtful criticism. Here's what he says. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words about the kingdom of heaven, which starts with the word receive. Because even in the story that we're reading here, Jesus sends out the 12. And again, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. You know, set, you know the captive is set three. You think, man, who's going to reject that? But you also have to remember, it starts by teaching repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people don't like being told to repent. They just don't like it at all then, and they don't like it today. But it's part of the message of the kingdom of heaven. And so here's what Jesus says. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, repent, kingdom of heaven is at hand, shake the dust of your feet when you leave the house or the town. Here's what that means. It's a beautiful thing. And we all can learn to do this better. Shake the dust of your feet means once again, if I'm in a space where I'm just being hurled with criticism, 
that I can, watch, watch. Some of you can get set free right here. Just leave. You say, what's shaking the dust of your feet off? What's all that about? Here's what it's about. Lord, I've shared what the gospel is. I don't have to convince. Only you can convict. I don't also have to judge them because you alone are judged. Shaking the dust of your feet literally means I am no longer sitting in the place of judgment. You know all things. I only know this thing. And so, Lord, I'm going to entrust them to your keeping and your care. Just like we have a Sabbath and we rest, we can only rest one day a week in Sabbath if we trust that God never rests. We can sleep trusting that God never sleeps. We can put things down knowing that he holds all things. It's the same principle. So I'm going to say a word from the Lord for some of your heart and lives right here. Did you know that on social media, you can unfollow people? Whoa. What are they going to think about me? Listen to me. Wrong question. By following them, what are you thinking about them? Can you handle what they're posting? But you can also mute somebody. Oh, <laughs> did you know that? You can mute. In other words, it's okay sometimes to just leave. It's okay sometimes to just unfollow, just unfriend well, you can't, you can't unfriend anybody. You can. It's a button. And you just push it. But then they'll know that's okay. Some of you right now are going like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. The larger question again is, can you in love genuinely follow people and friend people Does your heart get cynical and jaded and bitter? Some of your personalities, you just love to fight. That's fine. Make sure you're fighting the right fight. Hey, today, today, you want an audience? Draw a line. You're going to get an audience. I'm not so concerned about an audience as I am concerned that we're a body. I'm concerned pastorally about followers of Jesus, even pastors who keep drawing lines on things that are temporary things that are not ultimate things. Because it's not about getting a following. It's not about getting an audience. It's about being the body of Christ together. C.S. Lewis said this, every time you make a choice, you were turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before, every choice you make. And turning your life as a whole, with all its innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Ooh. Growing from found to serving happens by stewarding what God places in your hands today. Stewardship is what God can get through you. Ownership is when life becomes all about you. For Jesus, what we are trusting can be seen, if we are honest, 
with what we freely do with our finances and how we handle flattery or hurtful criticism. Problems, anybody got one? Problems are God's stepping stones to maturity. How we handle problems becomes either a barrier or a bridge. Today, on a number of occasions, I've given you an equation, 11 out of 12 disciples. We all know the one that I'm excluding from this story. His name is Judas. As best as we can tell, Judas fails the finance test. And Judas also believes something that he's not. Now, this doesn't make Judas unique, by the way. But what does is eventually... Judas does betray Jesus one day. But as best as we can understand, it isn't the one day that should get all the focus. It's his everyday decisions which really just show up one day. Somewhere along the way, Judas stopped following Jesus. Proximity to Jesus is not the same thing as presence and intimacy with Jesus. I go to church is not the same thing as I am his church. Judas was called. But he became a barrier. What do you mean by that? The calling never superseded his life. Nothing. Ended with him. But Peter became a bridge, as with the rest of the eleven, which supported the ongoing mission of Jesus. You know what I love? In their stories, surprisingly enough, the deciding factor in their following wasn't failure. They both deny. They all fail. Nobody follows Jesus perfectly. The question is, was what do you do when you fail? Because when you fail, when I fail, what shows up is what we're really trusting in. And this is why my deepest pastoral concern facing the church today isn't only lost people. It is found people who stop following Jesus. Because when found people stop following Jesus, we become barriers when we were actually called to become bridges. Everything you need in this season, Jesus has placed into your hands. Everything you need in the season to come is found in the harvest of faithfully following Jesus. None of us do it perfectly, but we all must do it humbly. Each and every one of us has a call, a purpose, a destiny in our lives, which means that every one of us is positioned by God to be a blessing to somebody else. May Jesus make us bridges. May Jesus make his church a bridge and no longer a barrier to lost people becoming found people and found people becoming following people and following people becoming people who serve one another. Together, let's stand. We're all going to pray a prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray with me as I lead you in prayer, whether here or at home. It's a simple prayer. But if you mean it from your heart, lots can change. If you just say it from your words... Not much will change. But we're going to pray it together. Let's put our hands out in front of us like this because we're stewards. Together, let's pray. Dear Jesus, 
Teach me to steward all you have put in my hands today. Amen.